Hello, everyone, and welcome to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we bring the power of prevention to you. I'm your host, Mike Wapshaw, Director of Marketing here at Fit for Work, and pleased today to be joined by one of my colleagues at Fit for Work. It's Jacob Wilkins, an ergonomics specialist for Fit for Work. Topic of the quarter has been the evolving workplace, and our topic of the day, topic of the episode, is going to be ergonomic wearables. What are they, the emergence of them, their capabilities, their limitations, and where they could fit into uh, your overall total worker health or plan, your ergonomics plan. And Jacob is the perfect guest for that because he recently penned a newsletter uh, that was distributed to Fit for Work and partners uh, on this topic. So I'm looking forward to that conversation or that part of the conversation. But first, with Jacob, let's do an introduction and learn a little bit more about him. So let's welcome you in now, Jacob. Thank you for joining the podcast. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, It's definitely a pleasure being on here. Um, uh, So what do you want to know about me? I want to know your background. You... um, you know, you, you've been at Fit for Work for a minute now, so tell us a little bit about how you got to Fit for Work, your background, and, and what you do on a day-to-day basis for the company and for your clients. Yeah, so um, I've been in, in the ergonomics field for 17 years. I started off at uh, Toyota with another company, um, and my background for education was exercise science. Um, I really had no idea what ergonomics was at the time. Uh, but there was an opening at Toyota for what I thought was going to be a personal trainer. And lo and behold, I came in there and they started talking about things like injury prevention and ergonomics. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> um, but I ended up spending nine and a half years down there. That was kind of fun. I got to see them roll off the first, uh, the first Tundra off the line down there. I was there for nine and a half years. And then what happened was, uh, my boss from there, uh, she had joined fit work, uh, a few years before I left. And was saying so many good things about it. And so uh, it came time for a change. And I knew that there's a change coming. And uh, she, right when I was feeling that, she called me like, hey, are you still interested in fit for work? And uh, I was like, yeah, I sure am. And so that was uh, seven and a half years ago. Um, and so I've, I've been with them since. Um, I started off as an injury prevention specialist for the first five years with fit for work uh, on site, just you know, talking to people who are having those aches and discomforts and early onset. Um, and then uh, exactly two years ago, I joined, the, I joined the ergonomics team with with Lauren and her team. And so now I get a chance to go on site and do the observations and the assessments of processes, which uh, has been a, a cool experience too. Sure. So did you feel the, the transition sort of to ergo for you was – a journey that was kind of made for you or were you intentional about that switch and, and what has it been like well, in, in those two years? To be 100% honest, it was actually a position in a sense made for me. Um, yeah. I'm not ATC certified, athletic trainer certified. And so many sites and I think the company as a whole was getting very specific. If you were doing onsite injury prevention, you were to be ATC certified just to make sure that the clients got the proper uh, initial treatment and care. Uh, from a licensed certified athletic trainer. And so at the same time, uh, Lauren and James were like, we need new, we need more people on the Ergo team. And I know that my coworker, uh, I know uh, Sean Piola is definitely very happy that I joined the team too, because they were getting overwhelmed with a lot of work that was coming in. So um, it was a transition for sure, a little bit different for me, because I've been, I've been doing injury prevention for, at that time, I mean, 
15 years. That's what I did. Yeah. At and so um, it was definitely a transition going into more of the process itself as opposed to just observing people. But it's been a, it's been a, a good transition. And I, uh, I, I've like, I've loved the experience for sure. All right. Well, well awesome. You know, and they're tied together, certainly injury prevention and ergo. So there's, uh, you know, relative and relatable topics within each discipline to each other. And of course, they they are their own sort of specialty in and of themselves as well. So uh, I, I'm sure you've sort of walked that line of blending the two, uh, but also uh, being in each one independently. Yes. Uh, for the purposes of our conversation today, though, uh, you know, you mentioned a, a transition for you. Um, we are sort of in a, a transitional or transformational period in the workforce and workplace. And in fact, that's been the topic of the quarter here at Fit for Work with uh, our social media written content and with this podcast is the evolving workplace. And when you sent that newsletter out, Jacob, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago or a month ago now, uh, it was about wearables, you know, and it got me to thinking, I associate wearable ergonomics wearables with technology and of course, technology you associate with evolution and change. And so I thought it'd be a really good topic for us to sort of talk about ergonomic wearables and sort of the pros and cons of them. Uh, right. And I guess not so much a con because an ergonomic wearable is a tool that one can use in a health program, one can use to avoid injury. So there, there's no really, any, there's nothing bad about it. But as with any tool that one would have in their tool belt, proverbial tool belt or real tool belt, uh, it has limitations as well as benefits. So uh, I'm looking forward to sort of, um, you know, sort of delineating out all of those with you here today. So yeah. let's just begin uh, real high level, Jacob. What is an ergonomic wearable? And then if you could sort of transition into sort of the emergence or proliferation of them maybe that you've seen in the workforce and in the marketplace. Yeah, for sure. So a wearable itself can be categorized into simply, essentially two different types of devices. Uh, one is more of a, um, it detects your body motions. It's kind of like um, it, it can sense if you're bending and reaching. So you just kind of wear it like a, like on a belt clip or whatever, like a little, almost looks like a, like a pager from the nineties, but it, sure. it can detect your movement. Um, so that's one detects your movement. Maybe it gives you like a little beep or gives you a little vibration to tell you if you did bend. Um, and it also collects that data to, to then put into a database. Um, the other one is actually a, a, like an exo exoskeleton that you can wear. Um, the idea of that is to help support when you are doing things like reaching overhead and using a tool overhead or lifting a box. The idea is that exoskeleton should in a sense guide you or help your body, uh, exert that force. And the, the goal is to reduce force on your body um, by wearing the exoskeleton. So you have the wearable that is like an exoskeleton and you have like the motion sensor wearable is essentially how they're categorized. Okay. Interesting. You mentioned motion capture um, because, well, in your mind is motion capture technology separate from, is it also separate from the wearable technology? Because you just talked about them sort of as combining them into one, okay. but motion capture is also sort of on its own, correct? Well, that actually is a good point. There actually is a actually a third category then, like you mentioned, okay. there's video motion sensor capturing where, some, where you know, uh, 
someone has the software to record a person doing the work and the AI and the software then captures the motion and it can put lines on there, green, yellow, red lines to show if the motion is a good posture, an awkward posture. Um, I guess what I was describing was the, the, the device that can sense if you're reaching and bending and it will tell the person wearing it if they're reaching and bending. Okay. Uh, so there is, again, yes, like you mentioned, that video motion capture as well. It, it's another uh, part of the – it's not necessarily wearable, but it's another tool that can be used uh, in, in the assessing risk process. Yeah. I would think that, you know, because I really want to get into both the, the value add that yeah. wearables can have, but also some of the, the drawbacks that could be there. So people can really get a good yeah. understanding of the, of the tool and decide if it's, if it's right for them or not. So, you know, to me, I'm thinking about wearables the way you described it, Jacob. And I think, you know, a potential drawback there is, you know, are they, I guess the possibility that they could be cumbersome or that they could, you could sustain an issue with them related to battery life or having to charge it or regulation of a wearable in an area that might be highly regulated, like food industry, as an example, or something where there's high regulation with regard to safety. Are those some potential drawbacks to wearables? To go back to the emergence and then go into pros and cons, like the emergence was basically the idea was to reduce injuries. The idea was to reduce injuries and costs associated in the workforce. Yep. And so these, these companies that, that divide that created or create wearables, um, that's their selling point that they want to help reduce injuries and the costs associated, which is a good, a good concept. And so, um, but what's happened is with, we talk about the ever-changing workforce we're experiencing now, we're seeing it out there. Um, it's it actually extended from not just reducing injuries and the cost, but also em- employee retention and improving morale. Uh-huh. So, so these devices, the, one of the selling points is that um, it can help reduce, re- reduce retention by maybe an ex- exoskeleton reducing force to the person's body so they feel better. Or um, sometimes with the motion sensor devices, uh, they add things in there like step counters and things like that. Or um, a company can develop a wellness program off of that and say, oh, if you get so many steps a day, according to what your motion sensor says, maybe you get some kind of reward. Or, uh, hey, employee, or Maybe they go off of like team teams that are out there in the workforce. Hey, team A, if you guys reduce your awkward postures by 25%, maybe we'll give you an incentive the next quarter. So companies can use them as morale builders as well to try to also improve the postures out there in the workforce. So those are some of the selling points that these companies that make these devices have. Now, like you mentioned, though, there are cons to all of them, too. Um, there's the battery life, like you said, that there's the cost associated with implementing some of these devices. I mean, some of these things can be in the tens of thousands to implement them um, as well as maintain them. Um, the exoskeletons, exoskeletons can be cumbersome and uncomfortable. And some there's actually, there's actually research to show that it may take force off of one body and add more to another part of the body. Um, there are also other studies that have shown that some of these devices that are meant to reduce like lower lower lumbar strain 
actually don't. There's no comparable change from the exoskeleton compared to somebody just doing proper lifting techniques. So those are some of the uh, drawbacks of these devices. Um, another concern can be with using a motion sensor is essentially like management of a company kind of pointing out certain people, you, hey, why do you keep bending over there? What's wrong with you compared to somebody else? And so that can definitely decrease morale in a sense. Um, but there are pros, right? And so some of the pros are those motion detector devices, they can pinpoint places that maybe have higher risk, higher bending rates or reaching rates. Um, they can also pinpoint, maybe they do pinpoint people that need more focused ergonomic training um, in their process to improve their postures. Um, and also, they do collect a lot of data which can be stored and used for maybe a process needs improvement. Um, or you can even look, to think, look at things like, well, for some reason in this company, the night shift has worse, potter, worse postures than the day shift. Maybe you can analyze those and figure out you know, what is going on? Why are we seeing these, these differences? So, um, and again, yes, uh, simple things like even in enhancing a wellness program um, through some of these things. So there are some pros, but there are also many cons too. Yeah. And that's, that's not unusual. I don't think for any, like, I, like, like we mentioned earlier in the, in the episode, it's just like any other tool in, in a tool belt, right? Is right. not, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's, I guess you got Swiss army knives, but other than that, you know, there are not many singular tools that are the be all end all solution. I think yeah. an interesting part of your job, Jacob, though, is, you know, you mentioned, ah, there are studies that say this will be the answer, but then there are studies that say, actually, that will make it worse. Right. I think that's where maybe the sort of the art part of your job comes in. It's not all science and all by the book. I think there's a a human touch here that has to be involved uh, where and that's at the end of the day. That's really maybe what clients are paying for. That's really maybe yeah. the differentiator for fit for work is the level of expertise, the level of expert individuals that fit for work has in tow that can be deployed to clients to help them navigate these challenges. Talk about that a little bit. Um, the human element that is required for your job, Jacob, where you're not just following studies and science all the time. You're incorporating your intuition, your uh, people skills, uh, your experience into it as well. Yeah. you. That's what you just said is what I love about my job the most is um, we are the eyes out there. I mean, the injury, injury prevention specialist is out there multiple days a week knowing the people and then knowing the work. And it has to be in that order. Like if you're out there, you've got to kind of know the people and, and know what they're doing, know what they're going through, know, know what their lives are like in a sense. You know what's happening around them. What, what are what are external factors that could be affecting them? And you don't you can't get that with technology necessarily. You can't get that with an exoskeleton or a wearable that has no personality. Right. And yep. so. Uh, when we go out there, especially as an injury prevention specialist, you get a chance to talk to people and find out what is going on in their lives. And we know there is a connection between external stressors and the body. Well, these things aren't, they're not collected uh, when it 
comes to motion sensor devices or even um, uh, the visual video aids, those don't collect what that person's going through. They don't know what's going on in that person's mind. And so that's where our importance is, is vital. Um, you know, I was going to make this point later in, in, in our talk, but I, I liken it to if anybody's watched the movie Sully with the, the, the Hudson landing of the plane on the Hudson River, right? I love that movie. And if you, if, if you haven't seen that, at least watch this scene. There's a scene where they're in the courtroom and the, the court is saying, well, why didn't you land the plane in the airport? You had enough fuel. And they said, they said all, of our, all of our simulations, the people landed the plane. And he said, you took the human factor out of it. And what he meant was when the plane hit the birds, there was 13 seconds of he had to think for a second. He was a human being. And so for 13 seconds, that 13 seconds made the difference of how he decided to land the plane on the, on the river. If you watch the movie, when they added in 13 seconds to the simulations, all the planes crashed. So what I'm saying is the human factor is huge. You can't take that out of any equation or any computer-generated AI anything. Um, you know, when I first started, and we started with a new company, um, there's hesitancy when when a new when we go out to a new site and people are like, who are these people? How are they going to tell me to do my job? They don't know me. And what I love is we were told the first two weeks on that job site, don't even mention ergonomics. You just talk to them. <laughs> you get to know them. And that started opening up uh, trust levels. And when they open up trust levels, then they tell you about, well, this happened or you know, I was at home and this happened or, you know, this this job here, we've had the same tools for 10 years and it's just oh, they are they are a disaster. We need new tools and things like that. So that interaction with people uh, helps you really understand their job, what they're going through and that the people doing the job are the experts at their job. And um, it just opens a whole new level of trust from them, which only benefits even more in us helping reduce their discomfort and reduce their, uh, their issues out there. Awesome story about Sully. That's um, such a, a spot on sort of analogy uh, to use here in this instance. So uh, really well done there. Uh, also, I haven't seen the movie, so I got to go out and see it. Um, yeah. Or I guess I don't have to go out and see it. I can, I can watch it at home now. So right, I, right, will, right. I will be sure yeah, to check it out. Free on Prime or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many services out there. It's, if you can't find a movie now, it's, it's kind of your fault. So, um, all right. I got two more things that I want to get to here with Jacob. Uh, I want him to talk about, uh, a, an example with, uh, you know, a real life example where wearables have come into play for him and then I'm going to put him on the spot. When it comes to wearables. All right. So we're going to do that after we take a little bit of a break here to learn more about Fit for Work and how Fit for Work can help your company. Hey, all. John Grove, CEO of Fit for Work. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about a one of a kind subscription ergonomics program now available from Fit for Work. For just 500 bucks a month, you can get quarterly visits face to face from one of our Ergo team members who will perform physical demands analysis, Ergo risk assessments, and or deliver training of all different kinds. Then in between visits, you have on-demand access to the Ergo team for any questions that you might have. So rather than scoping out Ergo projects one at a time, now you get an in-person year-round Ergo partner that provides you more deliverables, 
than you would for a, a typical project price. It's typically a third of the price. It's an incredible value and is easy to learn more at wellworkforce.com. Click on connect with us. Now back to the interview. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's the Workplace Injury Prevention Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw, joined today by Jacob Wilkins, a colleague of mine here at Fit for Work. He's an ergonomics specialist. He's breaking down wearables, the evolving workplace, the movie Sully, and more. So let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to Jacob. Hey, he's laughing right now, but if you missed it in the first part of the podcast, he actually had a movie reference. The movie is Sully. Uh, and tied it back to um, fit for work and wearables and the human factor uh, right. when it comes to his job. So go back and, and check that out. It was right before the break. Okay, Jacob, yeah. um, two things here. Yeah. I know in the newsletter that you penned, um, you know, just a couple, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, you mentioned you had sort of a firsthand experience with yeah. wearables without sort of giving away any state secrets or, or talking about the client specifically. Uh, out of respect for their yeah. privacy and information. Tell us a little bit about your experience there and sort of how that found its way into the newsletter. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty cool. The individual who asked us to to come on site, we, we've known this person for a long time and they, they love our work. They totally trust our work. And they, they're newer out on that in that company. And they said, hey, we have these these wearables, they're called the kinetic reflex device. And it's just, again, you put it on your, you put it on your, your belt or your waist and you, it tells you if you're bending and reaching. Okay. And he said, we're having certain spots that are really uh, highlighted right now. Can you come out here? And he essentially said, um, can you come out here and, sh and show this company why we don't need these things, but we need you guys. <laughs> so, so I went out there and, and looked at some of the hot spots. Now, um, he had me wear the device and it was my first time doing, wearing one of the motion sensor devices. And what I noticed, first of all, is it was touchy. It was very sensitive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out there squatting to pick up a box or, or, you know, doing a, doing a good posture, like a helping hand or a golfer's lift to pick up something small off the ground, which you don't need to squat, lunge, do a linebacker to pick up a pencil off the ground, do a helping hand, do a golfer's lift. Anytime I did a golfer's lift, it would go off or, or that, or, or the helping hand. And now, so I thought, well, this is a little bit over, overly sensitive for sure. And even things like uh, I would, I would merely, maybe barely twist. I mean, I would still have my hips and shoulders facing, but it would, it would catch the smallest things. So maybe over, maybe it's oversensitive, right? But the one thing it did highlight that was good was um, there was one process in particular that it had a lot of bending highlighted on it. And what I did notice that the machine, essentially, it would fill up a bag with a product, we'll say. It would fill up a bag with liquid, and the person had to fill the bag up into a crate and then push the crate down the line. It did highlight the fact that that crate and the filler nozzle were too low. And the person that does the process typically was a shorter individual. And so they were bending repetitively. Anybody above five foot six is going to be doing the same thing. And so it actually did highlight a problem process and um, which which was a pro. But the cons, like I said, though, were the oversensitivity of that device. Um, the other thing, though, is, too, is that device doesn't capture other things. It doesn't capture over gripping. It doesn't capture one handed lifting, it doesn't capture chicken winging. Um, it doesn't capture if they are rotating properly. It doesn't capture fatigue. 
And so it's li- it, it's limited in what it does capture. So you can kind of see in that story that you know, there's some pros. It highlighted a process that had some problems. But at the same time, when I looked around the whole facility, which I did it, I did an ergonomic assessment on the whole facility pretty much. Um, there were other processes that nothing was highlighted on, but they had overhead reaching problems, uh, weight problems. I mean, there were other issues out there that were highlighted that you would, you could, that weren't highlighted from the device, but would only be highlighted by a person going out there and watching it. Interesting. <laughs> you kind of, I think you kind of got two birds with one stone there uh, with the two things I wanted to get to <laughs> okay. uh, with the way you were so good there describing that and talking about the firsthand experience The how I was going to put you on the spot, Jacob was I was going to say, okay, I know, you know, when okay. it comes to wearables, there's a camp that probably will say we'll ride or die with them. And then there's a camp that says, huh, no, you know, and thumb, thumb your nose at them. <laughs> and I'm being extreme there uh, on, on both sides. Right. I want to know where you fall on the spectrum. Are you on one side or the other? Are you somewhere in between on that spectrum? Okay. No, I, I know that there are educated opinions backed by experience and science on both sides, but I'd like you to sort of tie it together and maybe give us a sensible place where, g- generally speaking, one could be where do wearables fit in an overall health solution for workers and the workplace okay i think that in this situation like i I spoke about if they if a company wants to implement a motion sensor wearable to detect some risk i think that could that's a good implementation that could be done as well as an ergonomic program as well as a person on site observing things because you, that's where I stand. I think that 85% of the program has to be an individual looking at the process and knowing what they're looking at and knowing what the risks are out there. You have to have the person out there who knows what they're doing and knows what they're seeing and knows how to report it. And then knows how to give, knows how to give recommendations for controls to mitigate that risk. And then if you want to throw, if you want to throw a motion sensor in there, just to kind of capture some data go ahead, but don't make it, don't make the motion sensor your end all. Yep. It's not going to, it's not going to catch a lot of things out there that are human factor related, that are psychologically related, but also it's not going to catch a lot of the uh, main issues we have with injuries, which is shoulders and wrist. Um, Now that's where I stand right now, but I do know that it's an ever evolving process. We do, we do know that the, the AI generators out there, the videos are getting more detailed. They're starting to get into like looking at the wrist and the motions of the wrist and things like that and the shoulders. So as time progresses, maybe it goes from 85% yes to 15%, 85% have the person, 15% have a have a, a tool out there. So maybe it's 50-50, but I don't think you'll ever be able to take away the human factor of this. Well said. Couldn't agree with you more. And listen, you're, I'm by no means an expert, but as someone who sort of just takes in all the information and tries to land on a sensible, reasonable conclusion, um, that's sort of where all the information and your and I's conversation has guided me. So um, I think that's, that's really well stated. And I think very beneficial, Jacob, to the folks listening. 
Uh, so, uh, again, I, I thank you for your time. You're a busy man. Uh, <laughs> you and, and the team, you guys are all busy. So thanks for carving out a few minutes uh, to join us on the Workplace Injury Prevention Podcast and sharing some of your expertise and experience. It was a fun combo. Yeah, no problem. It's been, it's been my pleasure. I've been hoping to be on a, a podcast for a while, so I'm glad it worked out, man. Hey, you're you're in the mix now. You're in the rotation. Be careful nice. what you wish for. Yeah. Hey, whatever. Bring it on, man. I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of talking to people. So, all right, good. Well, we can find another movie to break down next time. Too. There we go. Let's go. Let's <laughs> let's do let's do Maverick next time. Let's okay. Uh, hey, man, I'm in on that. You don't have to twist my arm. Okay. Uh, please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, to learn more about Fit for Work and our services, make sure you visit our website, wellworkforce.com. Thank you for listening to Workplace Injury Prevention, a fit-for-work podcast. And remember, prevention improves lives.